Last week as I was preaching on Christians' revolutionary attitudes regarding women, I used as an anecdote a Jewish Pharisee prayer that said, God, thank you that you did not make me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. To a Jew, every one of those groups was worse than the last. The Gentile was the best of the three. The slave came next, and to a Jewish Pharisee, the woman was the worst thing you could be made, which is not the Christian outlook from the very beginning on male-female relations. The section we are currently studying, the second missionary journey of Paul to the Gentile nations, specifically in this case to the Greek city of Philippi, demonstrates just how revolutionary Christianity actually was. Whereas a Pharisee would thank God they were not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman, Luke's account of Paul and Silas' outreach focuses on three individuals here at the beginning. It focuses on a God-fearing business, a God-fearing female business owner, a demon-possessed slave girl, and a woman that F.F. Bruce described as a secular soldier. We'll look at her next week, but we're, um, or actually I think it'll take a couple weeks to get to her. These three women represent everything that was uh, held in contempt by Jews. As I said, the Gentile, slave, and woman. But also encompasses every social class, economic status, and educational level of the time. One commenter said that Luke couldn't have picked out three more different women to be granted Christ's salvation if he had tried. That there was nothing that they were completely different people in every respect. Last week we focused on a woman called, and I say called, uh, Lydia. Those scholars do not believe that that was actually her name. She was a seller of purple garments, uh, which made her a wealthy businesswoman. Her wealth was attested to both by owning a house large enough to accommodate Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and whoever else was traveling with them that we are not named in Scripture, but also for the care and feeding and taking care of whatever need they needed while they were in that house. It is in her house that the church at Philippi would start and continue on for many years. As a wealthy, God-fearing businesswoman, Lydia was in the top strata of Philippian society. So why wouldn't Paul and the others, you know, focus on her salvation, you know? Uh, the, the modern um, health and wealth teachers of the day are looking for those, those type of people, the money people who can send money in, people who can support a ministry, and Lydia was that person. But, you know, she was just collateral for salvation, I was, you know, I think of collateral damage, but she wasn't. She was collateral. They weren't focusing on Lydia when they went to and spoke to the women gathered in prayer uh, down at the riverside outside Philippi. She was just one there, and she was one who responded immediately to their message. But to think 
Paul uh, was not focused on her salvation. Today we look at Paul's second convert in Philippi. She's the complete opposite of the woman we know as Lydia. Lydia, like I said, successful career businesswoman. Our convert for today did not even control herself. Lydia was a rich freeman. Today's example was a slave. And while Lydia was at the top of Greek society and was a, considered a God-fearer, searching for the Jewish answer in her life, this girl was demon-possessed, a fortune teller. So while Lydia was at the top of Greek society, the girl today combined everything, every one of the, the prayer requests of the Pharisees, She was a slave, she was a Gentile, and she was a woman. Acts uh, Acts chapter 16, 16 through 8 is what we're covering today. And it reads as such, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. One of the things I love in this passage is I have no worry at all about all of Scripture being God-breathed, absolutely true. But I love hearing she followed Paul and us because Luke is in this party with them. I witness to what he is writing. She followed Paul and us with no fixed synagogues in Philippi. As I said last week, it was Paul's habit to go to the place of prayer that... All Jews were specified by Jewish law to have. It would be outside the city, along some water. This case, it was alongside a riverside. And he would go there as often as he thought he could find some assembled in prayer. As such, he would travel the city streets and out, out the city gate, A lot of business was handled at the city gates. Beggars were at the city gates. Uh, Business deals were made there. But he would be walking the city streets, out the gates where many could be found engaging in business. So verse 16a says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. This slave girl, it says in the translation, um, that we just read has a spirit of uh, divination. The Greek original says the spirit of a python, and uh, that's very nice. She ha- or a uh, Pythian spirit. Both phrases meaning the same thing in Greek myth. A snake or dragon that was called Python guarded the temple and oracle of Apollo, the uh, god of fortune telling. The word python became synonymous 
For a demon-possessed person through whom the python would speak, okay, they, when, when this demon would take over the person, they would speak in a voice that was, they said, the python voice. Now, soothsaying was a uh, lucrative religious art of the period. This is, that's Daryl Bach's uh, explanation. It was a lucrative thing to be able to do. But you weren't fooling people. Okay? Now, a lot of people today who are telling the truth, I can remember when people would make predictions for the next year that never, ever came true. People expected these to come true. This was not fraudulent. This was not a game. This girl was demon-possessed. We saw this same thing in uh, chapter 11 with Paul and Barnabas in in Cyprus uh, with the magician Bar-Jesus who was a hanger-on to Sergius Paulus. He was making money the same way he was making money off of Sergius Paulus in this case. So it was a lucrative thing to do because armies, commanders of armies would not even go to war without consulting a fortune teller so that they might know their chance of success. Once again, someone having a spirit of divination or being possessed by a demon, which is the same thing, sounds absurd to our modern ears. But there are plenty of places around the world today where the Christians living there, many of them missionaries, will tell you that demons and demon possession are very real things. Now, the same in ancient Greece, as I try try to constantly say, people back then weren't stupid. Nobody was fooling them about anything. If you read their philosophy, you read their laws, if you read what they thought about medicine, these are not stupid people. They didn't have our technology. But they knew the world. Magic and oracles, fortune-telling, were used together in their society for uh, three purposes. To protect a person from misfortune, to attack another on or issue curses, and to win friends and influence people. This is what their magic was used for. Now, Pliny the Elder was no fool. He was a Roman author, philosopher, naval and army commander. I just mentioned uh, them before. He wrote the Naturalist Historia, the model for all future encyclopedias, okay? The guy knew a lot of stuff. As he said of the practitioners of demonic magic and fortune-telling, he said, there is in fact no one who is not afraid of being cursed by terrible imprecations. Philo, the uh, Greek Jewish philosopher who was a uh, rough contemporary of Jesus, um, spoke against magic that changed a person's emotions. Platonius saw magic as engaging the sympathetic powers of the universe. They saw these things controlling what we now see Jesus controlling. But in, the, in, their, in their societies, they saw magic controlling these things. The uh, commenter uh, Richard Longnecker says that no one who knew this girl would have regarded her as a fraud or insane, but instead 
as demon-possessed and able to actually foretell the future. And remember one other important thing. In a demon-possessed society, and this is me saying this, no. In a demon-possessed society, being seen as being possessed by a demon is a good thing. This was not a bad thing. This was a good thing. It's a plus to be demon-possessed in a demon-possessed society. Now, Christianity is well-known the world over for its stand against magic, against fortune-telling. Christianity has always been against these things. And on this very first mission to Greece, Christianity was unknown. The only thing that was known was paganism. Okay? Demon possession ruled the land. So Paul gets in trouble with the Greek authorities, not because, actually, of his attitude towards fortune tellers, but for the oldest reason in the world. Money. Verse 16b says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. The Greeks of Philippi, as I said, truly believed the slave girl could predict the future. And for all I know, um, this demonic possession truly did allow for that. At any rate, those in the populace so inclined would pay good money for her services as her voice was regarded as the voice of their god. Because Python was in the Roman in the Greek myths was slain by Apollo. This girl was serving Apollo. Verse 17 says, She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now I suspect when we think of demons. If we think of them at all in our modern time, uh, we think that they're liars, okay? That they never say anything true. After all, their master is Satan. And in John uh, 8, 44 through 45, Jesus said, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, Jesus, about himself, you do not believe me. In Jesus' ministry, however, when I was going across it, when he would encounter demon-possessed people, I looked to see if I could find them saying a lie about him and they never do they always proclaim who Jesus is which somebody better than I probably knows why but I went looking for it and didn't find Uh, Mark 124 what do you have to do with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the Holy One of God that's speaking the truth in uh, Mark 311 and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Well, there we go again. Mark 5, 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, 
What do you have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Luke 4.34 Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to, to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And in Luke 4, 41, there are many others. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Now, I'm not positive that there is a demon in Scripture that lies about who Jesus is. Uh, Perhaps they can't. But Satan and demons speak truth if only for their own evil purposes. And that's what we're going to see here. They're the slave girl who is crying that he's the son of the God is going to try to use it to her benefit. She says that Paul is the servant of the Most High God. Well, we find that in Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament. But that's not the only place you find that. You find that also used of Greek and Roman gods. Even though they had many gods, they would use the term the Most High God. In fact, the language used here supports the view that she is saying the God of Christianity is the Most High God among all the others. Meaning that that the, the God of Christianity and of Judaism is just another God. And Paul is not going to let her get away with that. Verse 18 says, And, she, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, 18a says that the slave girl followed them about for many days, basically announcing everywhere they went that these men were servants of God. In modern public relations, the adage is any publicity is good publicity. No such thing, if you ever noticed with movie stars, every last bad thing they do gets plastered over the, uh, on the, uh, well, I was going to say newspapers, but there are none anymore, on television or where, on the internet. But not so with Paul. Public relations generated by a demon-possessed slave girl tarnished their message by association with demons. If people associated his message as just being one of any other that they hear from any of their other gods, then it was wasting his opportunity on the mission field. And he considered it a waste, even though they, even though the society at the time if I said that somebody was giving a demon-possessed message, we'd all say, ooh, well, either I'm nuts or, you know, what is this about? But in a demon-possessed society where they recognize them, it tarnishes the message that Paul was trying to get out. Paul would not have his mission from the one true God have any resemblance to a false religion. Uh, John MacArthur points out that this was a subtle and dangerous attack by Satan, a bold attempt to infiltrate 
a deadly tear among the wheat because what the demon-possessed girl was saying was absolutely true. So if you take her in among you, she is one of those tares among the wheat that is ruining everything. The father of lies speaks the truth when it suits his purposes, disguising himself and his emissaries as angels of light. Verse 18b says Paul became greatly annoyed by this attention. Uh, The word translated as annoyed carries the meaning of being disturbed um, or burdened. And because Paul was in the position of actually being able to do something about this uh, demonic harassment, he does. Verse 18c to the end says, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, one of the apostolic signs in the early church was the ability to um, cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. And while our translation says the demon came out that very hour, and I thought, why so long? You know, Jesus, you know, they ran screaming into the sea. Well, the idiom that Luke used here carried the meaning of the demon being cast out immediately. It left. That very hour was just a a way of saying that. So now we've looked at two completely different women. The first two in Paul's mission to Europe second mission to Europe has ministered to. We saw Lydia. Now we see the other, a demon-possessed slave girl. Now you might think Lydia was more receptive to Paul and Christ's message than the slave, and perhaps she was, uh, because her heart had been prepared already for in her search for God, for the message that was preached. But actually... There are ultimately only two types of people in this world. And in this, Lydia and the slave girl were on equal footing. Both needed salvation that only Christ promises. Because of those two types, there are only Christians and non-Christians. This is what we're down to. So either you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and you are a Christian or you are enslaved to Satan. And when Paul goes to Greece, everybody is enslaved to Satan. Even Lydia was because she was a God-fearing Gentile, which means she was searching with uh, and praying with the Jewish women of the time. But that doesn't get you salvation. Being Jewish does not get you salvation. You are only saved by the power of Jesus Christ. So as we see people, Lydia, a wonderful, outstanding woman, generous, takes people into her home immediately. But until she heard the message of Paul, she might have done the same thing, but she was not saved. And then we have the unnamed demon-possessed slave girl. Now, In scripture, and and this is something to think about, she is freed from her demons by Paul. 
It does not say that she became a Christian. Almost universally in the commentaries I, and studies I've done, everybody assumes she was, but we really do not know if she was. So when I say that uh, uh, the first two converts, take that with a... Uh, there's not proof, proof positive in Scripture that she was indeed a Christian. But it is often said that only God sees the heart, that only he knows who is truly saved anyway. And I, I think everybody here who is here will believe that. I often say that, you know, I'm not a missionary. I'm here preaching to the choir, okay? Uh, this is what I do. I preach to those who come here. And it is the assumption that everyone sitting here to hear Christian preaching is a Christian. And I'm not here to cast aspersions. We don't know who is and who is. My oldest story, I was in, in my before days. Dave has heard me sing in Christian bands, okay? Nobody else has here. But I, I was in a Christian band with a fellow. And I'd known him for a while. And he lived a outwardly Christian life. And then one day his entire life fell apart. His wife wasn't his wife. His children weren't his children. It was staggering. And because though I knew he had problems, I knew he was struggling with them and dealing with them. And finally, I said, I said to him, I said, what happened here? You know, you've, you've been a Christian, you've been sitting in the pews. And he said to me, he said, Mike, you Christians will believe anything. And this is an honest story. Somebody that I assumed was. So when I say I'm preaching to the choir, perhaps it's not the choir. But I do not know. Um, I don't know who everybody is who comes through our doors. But in this, Paul had the advantage during his mission to Europe because he could be 100% certain that everyone he encountered was enslaved in Satan. So he had a, he had a ready-made message because it was a repentance salvation message. And he knew also that 100% of all he met needed to hear of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Then again, you know, as I look at our changing society, uh, in the United States, we increasingly find ourselves in, do you see anyone in the world, in the United States, that you're sure is not in need of hearing of the salvation that comes from Christ? Everyone needs to hear the message. Those in the choir and those who have never even heard the song. As the Ethiopian official said on his way back to the court of Candace, um, when he was confronted by uh, Philip the Evangelist, he said, how can I know what these scriptures mean without someone to teach me? Everyone needs to be taught the tune of the gospel so that perhaps someday they can join the choir. We could, we could always use a little bit more people singing the same song as us. But in the world, across the world, in 
In the United States, everybody we come across needs that message, needs the repetition. What was it? I, I was uh, the Mishnah. I uh, finally figured out, found out what the Mishnah. It, it just means repetition. It's the repetition of the oral Torah of the Jews. We need the repetition so that we do understand. And that's why we're in church. But it's also why we go into the world to spread the word to those who need the message. Let's close in prayer. Lord, you know, when I look at this passage and I say, oh, you know, Paul knows everybody is not a Christian. And so many of us, the only people we know are Christians, even though the country is changing. Lord, I pray that you will help us open our eyes to the realization that everyone needs to hear the gospel. That everyone, whether they're sitting in church or not, needs to hear this message. I pray you will boldly let us speak to our friends, our families, those we know, those we don't know across the world. And I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.